Peace, y'all, and welcome back to Check the Method, the podcast about the artist process. I am your host, M. Tony Peralta, and today's episode we bring to you Chef Kelvin Fernandez. Chef Kelvin is from New York City, born to Dominican parents. Uh, Chef Kelvin is really out here in these streets. Uh, he has um, beat Bobby Flay twice, one with his um, famous arepa. He was uh, a runner-up in Food Network's Chopped and um, a winner on FYI's network Man vs. Child. Uh, Chef Kelvin uh, got a full scholarship to the Culinary Institute of America in Hyde Park and worked after uh, he graduated for a Michelin star restaurant called Water's Edge in Long Island City under the renowned chef, Chef George Masraf. I met Chef Kelvin a couple of years ago, um, you know, just uh, through Uptown and um, been, been a big fan of his um we uh, did a collaboration uh, a couple of years ago um, during um, Semana Santa, which is Holy Week. We had an event at my shop where I did this graphic of uh, Bichuela con Dulce, and he made actual Bichuela con Dulce, and we gave it out to folks that were coming in to shop. Chef Kelvin is someone who um, really loves uh, this culinary arts and uh I honestly, if I wasn't an artist, I think that I would have been a chef, especially if um, when I was growing up, um, I was able to see uh, shows um, like the shows that are on now. Um, I um, definitely have taken a liking to cooking, especially during the pandemic. I was actually making some of the recipes that chef kelvin will put up on on his uh, instagram page so without further ado let's uh, dive into this episode of chef kelvin all right well chef kelvin thank you for doing this appreciate it absolutely tony it's always a pleasure to see you and uh just have great conversation for sure this for is the sure. first time we're actually uh recording yeah. it <laughs> and not only that but i haven't seen you since um we had the gala together Oh, the yes at yes. the gala. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was thinking about the Abichola Kondulis. Oh, that was fun too. We, yeah, yeah. Anytime we get to collab with art and food, it's uh, it's magic meant to be. <laughs> totally, totally. So just to start it off, just can you just um give me a brief uh, background about yourself, where you was born, raised, and things like that? Absolutely. Uh, you know, every year it changes the story where the narrative starts, right? We're going to start in Harlem, right? That's where I was born. I was born and raised in Harlem. New York City is all I know. Um, that's why I always say there's no place like home. You know, I've been having the opportunity to travel so many places, but if I'm there for too long, I always get homesick. Uh, so Harlem, New York, uh, spent 10 years of my life there. Um, my parents immigrated from the Dominican Republic. So, uh, proud Dominicano, um, you know, love being, uh, a part of the culture. Uh, I started cooking when I was 15 years old, uh, fell in love with a girl in high school and, uh, I was all about sports. She gave me an opportunity and a different mindset. She's like, I want you to support me in something that I like, just like I'm supporting you at all of your wrestling matches, your football games, your baseball games. And I said, it's kind of cheating because you're a cheerleader. You have to be there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that was one way of her sliding in. So I ended up doing a cooking class. And uh, I remember making, it was something so simple, a brownie. 
And I gave it to one of my friends and they freaked out. Like, I was like, dude, it's just a brownie. Chill out. (laughs) But that sensation and that satisfaction of me creating something and giving it to someone I fell in love with. Um, So you took a cooking class in high school? In high school. So they had, they had like when it. There was a time where they had those kind of like different kind of programs. It, it was like a home mech. Yeah, yeah. So mm-hmm. I, I was grateful enough. I, I grew up in uh, Harlem, like I said. My family moved to Long Island City um, in Queens. And then I spent like the second part of my life there uh, from the age of 10 to like 18, I would say. Um, and I went to Long Island City High School where uh, it was actually one of those schools that had an auto mechanics class. Yeah. Uh, a a shop class where you're learning how to build stuff. Yeah. I, I missed out. Stuff like I missed that. out on that one. I wish yeah. I took that one, but I still don't know how to change my oil, even though I took auto mechanics <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh, they had cooking. It was like a home mech. And then it was an actual culinary class. What was dope about that is they had a program that was called CCAP career through culinary arts program that gave uh, underprivileged kids. You know, I was born and raised in the projects. I didn't have many opportunities coming my way. Um, and, uh, being raised in that narrative, it's either two ways you can, you can follow the wrong way or you can follow a way out of that, you know? And, uh, I ended up joining that cooking club because I loved it so much afterwards and then more opportunities and more doors opened. So just to go back to the brownie, right? <laughs> kind of like, that's what sparked it for you. Yeah. It, it was just being able to make something, Tony, and giving it to someone and seeing them smile because there's only so many things that we can do in life that we can share that emotional, physical connection where I'm making you feel happy. Yeah. Right. And that's what I love about cooking. Cooking is food is, is life, right? We need it to survive. And I learned getting into this business that I'll never be without friends. Mm -hmm. I'll never be hungry and I'll never be without a job. Yeah. If you, if you learn how to cook. So that was my mentality getting into that. And I think I, I think I did well getting into this business. So the did the was the brownie made from scratch or was it like a box brownie and then you just somehow added something to it that has never been added to it? I, I just want to know. If that no, happened. it was actually a from scratch brownie where we had a professor uh, teach us how to make. First off, it was like measuring the ingredients, you know, learning the culinary math. I was always bad in regular math. Yeah. I was always bad in, in regular math, but for some reason, when culinary math came into my picture, culinary math, yeah, like you know, measuring like, like four yeah. cups equal a quart, one four quarts equal a gallon, mm-hmm. and being able to convert from ounces to 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 um, to grams. If you give me that in anything other than culinary, I, I'll, I'll be lost. <laughs> that's, that's, that's interesting. So that clicked for you, that part of that. For some, I actually even had to take an extra course in college so I can go to the Culinary Institute of America because my, my math grades were so bad in high school. Wow. I mean, I feel you because <laughs> I have never been good at math. Most creatives are not, especially artists. So how was Kelvin when he was 10 years old? And how was your parents' like reaction to you when you was 10? I come from four, uh, my, my mom and dad had four kids. So I have an older brother and two younger sisters that are not young anymore. We're all in our, our thirties and above, you know, mm-hmm. the youngest is 30. The oldest is about to hit 40. And, uh, you know, I, I grew up looking, looking up to my dad, looking up to my older brother. Um, you know, to me, my brother was always the coolest guy in the room and I always wanted to be around him. And, 
um, it was tough because, you know, even when you're an older brother and I see it because I did it to my younger sister, she looked up to me and I was always pushing her away. So growing up, you know, I always wanted to be around my brother, do everything that my brother did. But my brother was always too cool for me. Um, I'm, gr- I'm grateful that we have a great relationship now because I held a grudge for a long time, you know, I know, I know what that feels um, like. and it's tough because I, I'm a very family oriented person. I mm-hmm. love my family, um, which is so ironic now that it's hard because my profession keeps me away from so many family functions. Yeah. I'm grateful for all the memories that I have uh, prior to because my parents did everything in their power to one, make sure they knew that we were not poor. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause even though we were raised in the projects, we still got every, I remember getting every Sega Genesis, every PlayStation that came out. As long as I did what I was supposed to in school, yeah. get good grades, be a good kid. Um, I still got my ass whipped every time I did something wrong. You know, I'll never forget that. I'll sneak out of the house when, you know, go watch a basketball game, leave my little sister alone at the house. I only did that once. And there's a reason I only did that once. So mm-hmm. I think having the firm parents that I did made me into the man that I was today. So what role food play in your life at that time? Like when you was 10 and, and, and you know, e- immediately my dad's a chef. That's really? one. Your That's how my, my dad's a chef. He's not like a classical trained chef. He is a man who has been cooking for 40 plus years. He's been working with uh, restaurant associates for uh, about 20 years. He works at the ABC building in uh, Central Park West. So he cooks for everyone that does the Oprah show, the ABC news and all that. So it's a big team of over a thousand people. So already we were blessed with great food. My mom's a talented, talented cook. It's funny because I say my mom is a better chef than my dad. Okay. Because uh, my dad would bring like Americanized food home. And, you know, I, growing up for me as a kid, Fridays was like takeout night, right? So we can order chinos. We can order McDonald's. We can, we can order pizza. And we were upset when my dad used to bring pizza and burgers home from the restaurant. I'm like, that's not the same. We want those chicken nuggets. We want those, we want those, the bad food that we're not supposed to have on a regular basis. So I was lucky that food was completely surrounded from the age of, I would say, you know, from when I was born. Interesting. So you, you so you was born in the Dominican Republic, right? So that means your father was a chef in DR? No, I was born in New York. Oh, my, sorry. My you, dad, you, you yeah. Was born here. My mom and dad were born in Dominican Republic. My dad didn't start cooking until he was 18 and he moved to the United States. Mm, that's interesting. I, I'm curious to, I mean, that's probably a longer story, but I'm just curious what, how, like what motivated him to get into that? Maybe not. The first opportunity was the, the I, I, it's funny because I never asked that question to my dad. That's a great question because always people ask me, how did I start cooking? Yeah. I think I got to ask my dad, how did he start cooking? I know that was one of the opportunities that was presented to him when he first got here because my dad did not finish high school. Yeah. Um, and I know once you finish high, once you don't finish high school in the United States, your opportunities are very slim. Mm-hmm. So I think one of his friends that was already uh, here in the United States and here in New York, um, gave him an opportunity because my mom and my dad met in New York. Yeah. They knew each other in Dominican Republic. Mm-hmm. They knew the families knew each other, but uh, so they rekindled over here. And uh, thanks for that because I was made. <laughs> did you know, did you know how to cook somewhat when you was young? Like did your mom? Not, not a soul, man, not a thing, not an egg. I couldn't flip an egg. I was, and it sucked because, you know, growing up in this Dominican household, even though my dad's was chef, my dad, very rarely cooked at home. Mm. That was a my mom thing. That's yeah, why I feel like my mom. Yeah, that's why I feel like my mom was the better chef, right? Yeah. Especially, I do understand if a man is cooking all day like I am, I don't want to come home and cook for everyone every exactly. single day. I'll do it once in a while. You know, I have a pregnant fiance now. I'm trying to cook for her as much mm-hmm. as I can because I trust my food than the outside food. But I was blessed with great food. So my mom 
was always making the typical Spanish food, the arroz con habichuela with the pernil or the pollo al horno. Those are my memories of having just amazing food. And then every Saturday, no matter what, we would have tres golpes. I cannot believe we ate that every Saturday, single yeah. Saturday. My God. Because it held you down all day. <laughs> the whole day. I wouldn't have to ask for food until like 10 p.m. I'm hungry. <laughs> my mom used to make on Sundays, she would make these 12-inch pancakes. Oh, my. The big one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah my mom would They're do like the same thing. like 12 inches in diameter. And yeah, like para que no me hold it. <laughs> yeah, so that held me down all day. <laughs> no, those are the pancakes that I make now. If somebody asked me for a pancake, I'm like, you're not going to ask me for lunch. <laughs> That's, so at what point in your life did you figure out that being a chef is what you wanted to do? You know, you said you was into sports and, and stuff like that in high school, but where, at what point was like, you know what, this is what I want to do? I think it's hard to pinpoint an exact time, but I do know that I had to make a decision while I was in high school, right? I was really good at wrestling. Wrestling was my sport because of the fact that To be able to shine in base one football, you have to be an elite athlete. With wrestling, as long as it's still a team sport, you still go out there one-on-one individually and compete. I was small, I was small, I was scrawny, and I and I never got pinned. That was my thing. Um, my senior year, uh, I went undefeated. We won the championship. I went to states and I had to make the decision is do I do a wrestling scholarship or do I do a cooking scholarship? Mm. And I thought about that. What am I going to do after those four years of college after wrestling? wrestling yeah. Am I going to be a wrestling coach? That's mm -hmm. not my passion. And I, I said- to the Olympics. Yeah. I, I was a big fan of a lot of people, especially, you know, growing up as a kid, I watched WWE, WWF all the time. That, uh -huh. was, that was my wrestling. So okay. when I told people wrestling, that's what they thought of. I'm like, no, no, no. This is Olympic style wrestling. Yeah. So um, I, 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 it was kind of hard, but I made that decision when I was young. And I, was, I would say I was 17 when I had to decide where I was going to go to college. And I joined the CCAP program. I did a cooking competition. And knowing that that was the first scholarship that presented it to the table, I say, hey, mom, I got a full scholarship. You don't have to worry about college. That was like one of the proudest moments that I can remember making my mom cry. Wow, that's great. So I'm so fascinated about chefs and cooking and stuff like that. And one thing I want to know is just like, how does inspiration show up for you? Like, what does that look like? I think inspiration starts with yourself, right? Okay. You have to be inspired to want to do things, yeah. right? Just like working out. Let's take that as an example. Mm -hmm. You know how many times I started a diet, a, a, a cleanse, mm -hmm. a workout program? The only reason that I've kept it going for the past three months is because I'm the one that says, we're going to do this. We're going to get out of bed. We're not going to sleep an extra hour. You have to inspire yourself. I am also inspired by the people around me. Yeah. You surround yourself by great company, whether it's cooking, whether it's art, whether it's music. When I see someone else winning in their field, it pushes me to be the best that I can be. Um, because I, if we're not wanting to be the best, then why are we doing this? Right? There's plenty of opportunities for everybody to shine in the same field that I am because we have a lot of people to feed, right? <laughs> uh, I'm sure you can relate to that with, with, with the art community. Everyone, there's so much for people to see in, in, in what we do as individuals and also as what we can do together. So I believe the inspiration comes from myself, um, the people that I surround myself with and um, always wanting to be the best. Yeah. But like, for instance, I don't know what a project looks like for you. I guess maybe it's when you're, being hired to 
to be a private chef for somebody and stuff like that. So how do you come up with a, a menu for people or dish or even like your 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 famous arepa? Like, how did that all come about? You know, like how to, the ch- how, you know, like how do, how do, how does a like chef kind of, yeah, figure things out yeah. and play and, and like, for instance, for myself, it's like, you know, I could be on the subway, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe in an idea and then I'll like, you know, go on my computer, probably research some stuff and then start playing around. How does a chef play around? Eating. Eating. <laughs> wow. Recipe development 101 has always been going out to eat. I love, like, it's weird. People always ask me, what do you do for fun? I'm like, I love going to new restaurants and trying new food mm. because you will learn new flavor combinations that you would have never imagined. Two things I understand. There's no plagiarism in food. Okay. Either you make it better or you fuck it up. Those are the only two things you can do, right? Yeah. And when I say that is, it's very important to be original. Yes. I'm not saying take my arepa dish and copy it one for one for one with every single ingredient I put. That Now you're just being a copycat. What I'm saying is take the concept of the arepas and find something else to put on top of it. You mm-hmm. know, when I created the arepas, I was working in a restaurant for the first time doing Latin food. which I haven't had the opportunity being classically French trained for 12 years, which is a third of my cooking career, then doing Italian, then doing American until finally I was working in a restaurant where they're like, Kelvin, just do whatever you want. Be you. And I started doing like the seared diver scallops with the black truffle over mangu. They're like, what's mangu? I'm like, I'm like, I'm teaching Americans how to eat mangu. I'm like, it's a puree of plantains. Uh And then when you feel it and you see it and you taste it, I'm like, how... How else can I do tuna tartare? But let's make it a little bit Dominican. Let's put it on a, on a tostone. I haven't seen anybody do that, it's, but it's so simple. And it'll be those little flavor combinations where you taste something. I'm like, wow, this is, this, is, this, is, this is great. Why haven't I thought about it? And being given a challenge, I mm. think, gives you an opportunity to really play and really get creative. For example, when um, I got the opportunity to... I won Forbes top 30 chefs under 30 years old in 2015. 2015 was an incredible year. I also beat Bobby Flay. Yeah. And that was the first time the arepas were getting their shine. Um, As much as I love saying this, I'm so much more than an arepa, but I can't walk into the room for a food event and not have the arepas with me. Yeah. What's the first thing I did when I saw you today, Tony? You brought me an arepa. I brought you an arepa (laughs) because I know we've talked about it for so long. I've never had the opportunity to do it. We're we're in the neighborhood, we're in my hood, and I came by with some arepas because I love to introduce myself with food. Mm -hmm. I think it speaks volume of who I am as a chef. That's a great business card. When I can say, hey, this is me in a bite. This is the way that you can understand what my flavor profiles are like. So being given that task on 2015 to do the best chef in America competition, I won with the braised beef short rib. 2016, I say, I want to do an arepa, but I'm not going to do the same thing. I don't want people to think I'm a one-trick pony. The chef who was the judge was Daniel Balud, elite French chef. I said, let's do something with truffles. All right, now we're going to do a black truffle mushroom arepa. I won year two. Nice. Year three, what can we do now? Let's do something that's... Uh, a little outside the box. We did a tuna tartare. Imagine having a crispy rice cake with the spicy yellow tuna on top. Mm-hmm. We did that with an arepa. Nice slice of jalapeno, ketchup manish, which is like a sweet Indonesian soy sauce. I won the year three. One year four. The, the, the challenges are getting exciting. Yeah. Now I'm like, unfortunately, because of the pandemic, we didn't get to do um, the last competition in 2020, but I am still the reigning, defending, undefeated uh, best chef in America for Forbes, and I'm gonna keep it that way until That's somebody takes up. me out. Even though I'm not under thirty anymore. <laughs> yeah. Do you dream in food? 
Like, I, what does your dreams look like? <laughs> my dreams are more relaxation. My dreams are beaches. My dreams, <laughs> my dreams are having a, a cold presidente in DR. Yeah. Uh, having some, uh, you know, fritura. <laughs> my dreams are my family, my friends. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, it's all, so thank God it's all happy thoughts, you know. But when it, when it comes to thinking about food, I think about food a lot. So where have you gone to to eat recently that it kind of like blew your mind and really sparked some some idea for you that you was like you was just like walk me through that process? Yeah, like, I was in um, in Puerto Rico with my fiance. We were celebrating our little baby moon, which I didn't know existed until uh, she told me, "Hey, we should go on a little trip before I give birth. It's mm-hmm. called the baby moon." I'm like, I'm learning something new. The baby what? A baby moon. A baby moon. Yeah, that's your last. Like, oh, like a honeymoon. Like a honeymoon, but it's a baby moon. Yeah, yeah. okay. So it's your last trip that you and as a mm-hmm. you know as a mom and a dad can get single, to enjoy. I mean, we're not single, but like yeah. without the child, child free, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I was like, all right, uh, it's our birthdays anyway. Let's let's go away anyway. So in Puerto Rico, we went to a restaurant called Cocina Abierta. Okay. Open kitchen. Mm-hmm. To understand that they had fine dining. I, we did a seven course tasting mm. and I wasn't expecting food of that quality for like 70 bucks American per person. I'm like in the United States easily in New, in New York, you could easily pay like $150. And I did a wine tasting and I was lucky for, there's a gentleman, his name is Danny. I was in Puerto Rico. He hit me up on Instagram. He's like, you have to come to my restaurant. I'll be honored to serve you. I took his faith. I didn't even look at reviews. I went in. And that was the best meal I had in, in Puerto Rico. Mm. To be inspired, to use the ingredients of the land. Of the land, yeah. To use the ingredients that I've seen on a day-to-day basis, but have never thought about putting in food. Mm-hmm. from Like what? From Malanga to mm. um, being able to take the concept of what a mofongo is, but put it in a croquette. So to make it crispy, yet still creamy, it was mind-blowing yeah. to know that people are thinking about our culture. Elevating our food. Elevating the Latin food. And, Mm -hmm. you know, my fiance is Puerto Rican. I'm Dominican. So we're always surrounded by great Spanish food. But to see that on that level, that inspired me right away. And the first thing I did was like, babe, I want to play around more with Spanish ingredients because I don't ever want to lose that touch. Because I tell you, I walk into the door, you you can tell I'm Dominican when you you start hearing me speak in Spanish. Like I'll go to Dominican Republic and we'll have an event and... Cuando se sale el español, ese de lo mío, ese, ese cibao. So I'm like, that's all thanks to my mom and <laughs> the accent that she gave me. But I'm, I'm always proud of, of my roots and I always want to make the Latin community proud of me. So then what, when a situation like that, uh, when you went to Puerto Rico, like what are your next moves when you come back home and that's fresh in your mind? Like what do you start doing? Like yeah. what, you know, how do you organize yourself? And like what, what does, what do you do with that inspiration that you got? The first thing I do is even during the dinner, I'm writing all these ideas down. So you just, while you I eating, open up I, my phone, yeah. I get into my notepad notes. and I start writing just flavor combinations. Like, let's say um, the idea of a mofongo croquette, because that's not what he made. But yeah. to me, that's what came oh, into that, my that's mind. That's what came to your that's mind. That's what came to he my didn't mind. He make that. He made um, like, uh, like a little mofongo, um, but it was like. Like a mofonguito? Like, like, it, it wasn't like that, but like the broth was on the inside. Wow. So like when I cut into it, like it, it blew my mind. I was like, yeah. yo, I can make a mofongo croquette out of this and serve that with like a chimichurri crusted filet mignon. Mm-hmm. And that would be a home run on its own because of texture and flavor. And 
and and and right away that's the number one thing I'm doing during dinner is just writing flavor profiles. Okay, um, the sancocho that they made again it was like in an encapsulated sphere. So like I didn't think about people doing things like that with our food. Yeah. So um, that's the first thing I did. Start writing those ideas, flavor combinations. And then the first opportunity I get, it's like, all right, let's go shopping. Mm-hmm. Let's go to so Dykeman. Let's yeah, go. Yeah. So when you come back home, you just go shop. Food go shopping. shopping. Go. You come to the hood. I come to the you hood. You don't go to Whole Foods. I can't go to Whole Foods for that. Okay. Like you can find platanos and yuca in Whole Foods, but that's it. It's going to be $5 for yeah. one platano. Yo. Can we have a, a petition to do a ten dollars ten for one? You want to you want to take it back? I like want to do it again. Uh, ten, Yo, for, ten, ten platanos for a dollar. For a dollar, that's like that's nineteen eighty nine. hundred percent. I remember it very well because my mom would give me one dollar. Buka media platano. Yeah, yeah. I would never forget that. Now yeah. with one dollar, you're lucky if you get three. So first thing I do is come to the hood, get the you know the ingredients, the recao, the culantro, the 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 fla- the things that build flavor. Yeah. Um, and find ways to reinvent things but still for me being a chef is art yes food has to look beautiful of course we're not in a world where you could just put something on a plate and people are like eh, i hope it tastes good we eat with our eyes first and what's the first thing we do tony we i don't have my phone here we pull out our phone yeah we take a picture i do we take a video mm-hmm. for some reason that's what makes me feel happy especially being a chef in the industry who wants to show people where to eat Right. So anytime I put a restaurant on my Instagram, they're not paying me to do that. I'm not eating for free. I'm spending my hard earned money that I would put chef, hashtag Chef Kelvin approved. Yeah. So you know that you're going to go and have a great meal. You know, do you think that because you're Dominican, you know, like, you know, we're very picky eaters. <laughs> right. Huge. I mean, I and especially myself, like it's interesting you say like we eat with our eyes. So me being a young kid, like I ate with my eyes and everything looked nasty to me, right? Like <laughs> I don't like peppers. I didn't like onions and all that stuff, right? And do you think that you opened up Dominicans to a whole different world when it comes to food and probably even made a lot of folks um, try things, like be more adventurous with their palate? Because, you know, we come from a cult- culture, like, I mean, case in point, Dominicans don't like eating I'm eat the, the raw steak. food or yeah, yeah like they eat raw, the yeah. steak um cooked. You know no, what I'm saying? Like no medium cooked. rare, no medium. Yeah. Everything has to be kept out, kept out, well done, well done. Charcoal. Yeah. So like, how do you manage with all of that? But also, you know, have people come through to you throughout the years and be like, "Yo, like you really kind of like help help me open up my palate." I think the most important people are the people that are always surrounded by me. Like, yeah, I mess up palates and for me, I say in a good way, but it's a bad way because. Your, your palate becomes a little bit bougie sometimes, you know, when you, when you start understanding the quality of like, I remember the first time I had just a regular chicken cooked properly. Okay. Like Tony, my mom used to overcook everything. Mm. So the chicken would be always like dry. Dry. Yes. So when I was in culinary school, like in high school, the teacher made a chicken. I ate it. I was like, what bird is this? There's <laughs> no way this is chicken. Yeah. He's like, Kelvin, it's chicken. I'm like, nah, my mom's been doing it wrong. I remember when I worked in a restaurant, my mom always said the same thing. Before I started working, she's like, I remember eating a burger. She's like, if the burger is red in the middle, you're going to die. Like, that's how dramatic my mom was. (laughs) You're going to die. Tony, my first restaurant job, 17 years old, Water's Edge restaurant, Long Island City, Queens, working with an older gentleman, 80 years old. His name was Juan Pena. Couldn't talk, but was phenomenal and made salads fast. Yeah. That was the first time I saw what steak tartare was. 
Dude, why, 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 I was about to say that. Why would, why, would your mother, why would your mother say if she saw and the steak tartare? I would tell you because I'll never I, forget this. When I saw, that, I, would, I saw that in France, yeah. and I was like, what, what the is hell that? is that? I'm never going <laughs> to eat that, ever. The guy is slicing steak super yeah. thin. He takes a piece and puts it in the mouth. And I go, you're going to die. And he says, what? I said, you're going to die. You can't eat raw meat. Yeah. He says, man, I've been doing this for 30 years and I haven't died yet. I remember going outside immediately calling my mom. I was like, mom, you lied. <laughs> she goes, don't you ever say that. I was like, mom, you lied to me. That's funny. There's a guy who's eating raw meat. He's going to die. Mom, he's 70 years old. Okay, be careful with that stuff. Yeah. So at that moment on, I was like, I got to try everything now. Yeah. And so you ate the-, the I ate the steak tartare and I love yeah. it. Steak tartare is one of my favorite- And beef tartare? Beef tartare, raw tuna tartare. And no. this is the thing, when I, when I have my friends- I remember if, if you want to come and eat with me, you have to have the Chef Kelvin experience. You're not allowed to order on the menu, right? I will order everything. I need to go out to eat you, with you. Tony, day. I will change your life I, for the I, good. And I promise. I'm, as, a, like, I'm afraid, but fascinated yeah, at the same time. And all of my friends were like that, Tony. Yeah. I have friends that now to this day, they're like, oh, ew, tuna tartare. And then they no, come, they have an experience with me. And they're like, oh, I'm, uh, I'm obsessed. I have tuna for the past four days in a row. Yeah. I was like, well, don't overdo it now. So going out with me is like what I call, like I said, the Chef Kelvin experience. It's so fun to know other chefs as yeah. a chef. Yeah. Because what do we want to do? We want to show off. Exactly. Right? Yeah, We're yeah, going to yeah. show off. This yeah, is yeah. an opportunity where I can play around with things that are not on the menu, yeah. things that I've been working on. Who's better to try that on than your friends? You know, it's funny that you, like, that's so interesting you say that. And again, it's just like, um, creatives want to show, like, no matter what discipline it is, you always want to, like, impress your friends, like my artist friends or graphic design friends. So it's interesting to hear like, yeah, like chefs do the same thing. And, you know, like, yeah, we always want to impress our, our, our colleagues. You know what I'm saying? If I have one day off, I'm like, I'll bring my friends. All right, guys, I'm trying something new. Everybody yeah. come over. Who's going to say no to free food? Who's going to say no to free food from an award-winning chef? <laughs> so if you're going to tell me that you got a special, you know, viewing of something that you've been working on, mm -hmm. I'm running. I'm yeah. coming. I know your work. I'm excited. I want to be one of the first people to feel exclusive to see something. Same thing with my fiance. She creates music. I'm like, babe, I need this song. This shit is, this is fire. it. This is fire. Yeah. I played it at the baby shower. I got in trouble, but. Oh, you were so excited. <laughs> like, so Y'all got to listen to this. She was happy. She was, she like, was singing the song. Yeah, it's not ready. She's like, it's not mastered. I'm like, I don't even know what that means. That song's going to be a hit. So again, you know, we always want to show off because that's how I am as a chef. I want to be able to say one because you're going to give me the, the realest feedback. I think it needs a little bit of salt. I didn't taste the spice that you said was in it, or maybe it needs a little bit more garlic. There's no better way to get that feedback when someone's not paying for the food. I feel like when people pay for food, it's a little bit different. They're not going to say everything that they're going to say um, in restaurants. I'm always honest. So if a server's coming to me and they're like, how is everything? Do you want the truth? Or do you want me to just say it's okay? Especially if you see everything is still there. I love to eat all my food. And I don't complain about food. I, I'm Listen, we can go look at how much I've spent in the past five years on food because that is my recipe development. But I can say every year I spend at least $15,000 just on food alone, just going out to eat in restaurants. That's wild. And that's, and, that's, and that's a low number, Tony. And the, but that's a low That's, that's a low wild, number. but also you could expense it. Yeah, I could expense it, yeah. Now, now I have my own business. I can do job. that now. I can do that now. I remember putting into my contracts when I was an executive chef in restaurants that I had to spend... They had to give me a credit card where I can spend up to $1,000 per month a food budget. on food budget for me to go out to restaurants. And I would 
do like a book report, you know? Yeah. This is what I loved about the restaurant. This is the this is how the experience was. This is what I think we can implicate to our place. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't like I'm going to eat for free for fun. I'm really trying to implicate and making our establishment better. Now, I, I, that says a lot about you as a person. And like, it, it sounds like you're always kind of like trying to elevate, you know, your craft. Are most chefs like that? Absolutely. I would hope so. Okay. I wouldn't say all chefs because we live in a world now that everybody is a self-proclaimed chef. Yeah. Um, yes. I don't, you know, I'm not going to talk bad about it, but I think there are different levels of chefs, mm -hmm. right? You have people that start up their own business. They are cooking the food. They are doing meal plans. Sure, you can call yourself a chef of that level. But can you take that chef and put him in a restaurant to run a business? Absolutely not. That's an executive chef. Then there's chef de cuisine. And then there's private chefs. We are in a world where you don't have to be just one type of chef. You know, and I say that because I've gone through the motions of the sous chefs and the chef de cuisines and the executive chefs of running restaurants where we're feeding thousands of people at a time and then doing the private chef. And I've been doing private chefing right now for, I would say, four years. And I miss having a restaurant. Yeah, That's why I do the pop-up dinners and the three-day Valentine's Day dinners where you can buy a ticket and, and it'll be Kelvin's Kitchen for the next three days. And mm -hmm. it gets exciting for me. But, you know, I, I'm still waiting for my moment that hasn't just felt right yet, especially yeah. with everything that's going on in this crazy world now. So One thing that I that I learned from you is just, I, I didn't know that like the financial aspect of being a chef, the the whole budgeting thing. And I thought, you know, like you don't, for, for us. Food like, costs. There's yeah, food labor costs, costs. Labor costs. All, all that, all that, all those little details. And people think it, it, being a chef is just making great food. No. It's, yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> if you it's give like you any, show up and cook, <laughs> but it's like, you need to, you, you, there's as much as you know about food and the science of food, you also need to know uh, you you have to have some sort of uh, understanding of finance. If you give anyone an unlimited budget, they can create great food. Yeah. You just got to learn how to cook. If you give someone a budget and they can still create great food, that's how you know you have a great chef. For you to be successful in any establishment, whether uh, food related or not, you have to budget yourself. Mm -hmm. And I didn't learn that until I became a chef. Yeah. I didn't have anybody teach me. You learn, again, culinary math and culinary school. You learn how to do the food cost. It's difficult. Imagine this, Sony. To do a food cost for, let's say, a spaghetti sauce. And we're not doing spaghetti sauce for one person. We're doing spaghetti sauce for, let's say, 100 people, right? So how much does the can of tomato cost per case? How many onions are you putting into that? How many garlic pieces are you putting into that? How much basil are you putting into that? How much salt? How much pepper? How much time is the cook spending doing that recipe? Then when that recipe is done, you have to measure it. How much yield do you get out of it? How much is each portion going into one portion? The list goes on and on. So to be able to do a food cost for one recipe, you have to think about all the ingredients that go back to it. The person that ordered the food, the person that's delivering the food, how much is the can, what's going into the product. So for you to get a, do a dollar amount to say that that tomato sauce costs $60 to make, and now that one portion turns into 100, now we have 60 cents of tomato sauce going into our ravioli dish. Yeah. So without <laughs> one food cost, you can't do the other. So yeah, it, it's that's... a process. And that's why one of the hardest things to do is food costs. And I always like having more than one person working on it mm -hmm. because when you have a team, it's so much easier. And also when you're opening up a restaurant, 
it's easy to do that in the beginning because you're buying everything from scratch. You have the prices from the beginning. There are also a lot of amazing programs that help you out that when you get your invoices, you're punching in how much it costs. You break it down to how many cans of whatever comes in. Mm-hmm. And it makes the process easier, but it's still going to take you a couple hours to yeah. do food costs. At the end of the day, what I get from this is just, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. <laughs> um, Again, culinary math is boring, but it's got to be done. <laughs> so when you're hired to do a private thing for somebody, what is your ritual? Like, oh, or do you have one? Yeah. I I love... <sighs> Sometimes you, you you're not you're not allowed to do it because of the fact that you don't get enough notice. Mm-hmm. But I like to prepare myself. Yeah, I like to write down menus. I like to give my clients menus. When I the way I consider now what I do is I do some private chefing, which is like I'm with one client for a week mm-hmm. or a month or three months, which I try not to do as much because then I take myself away from everyone else. Which yeah. is the the chef Kelvin experience of bringing the restaurant to you. Like that's our slogan. I bring the restaurant to you. So if you want to hire me tomorrow, Tony, I try not to do last minute. Mm-hmm. I tried, give me at least 48 hour notice. You know, some people will reach out last minute and I need to have a ritual, right? Like you yeah. said, I need to mentally prepare myself. I need to write down what the menu is going to be, the ingredients. I do all the shopping by myself still. Okay. Still to this day, I will shop for every single ingredient for every one of my events. Mm. I want to feel it. I want to smell it. I want to look at it and know that I got the very best from whether it's the 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 market on uh, 14th Street or Whole Foods or Stu Leonard's or the butcher down on Esposito's and, and, and meatpacking, I want to make sure that I'm picking the best quality product. So I can't do that if I don't have time to think about yeah. what items I need and where I'm going. I I go to four to five different markets or supermarkets just for one event. You get excited when you go to supermarkets? 100%. I get more <laughs> excited when I go to a farmer's market. Yeah. Because… It's like fresh. It's fr- the smell yeah. of just the fresh corn when it's corn season, the berries, the tomatoes. There's nothing better than me doing a, a dish and someone saying that the tomato was the star mm. when it's supposed to be the mozzarella that I made from scratch. That's yeah. really good. But the tomato was the star. That's what happens when you get local tomatoes mm-hmm. and tomatoes are in season. And I think that's important as well. Seasonality. People forget to cook with the ingredients that are in season. In season, yes. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to do corn and strawberries or watermelon in December. That's meant for Mar- April, May, June. That's the, the highlight of it, yeah. the summer. Which is, a, which is like, when there's, a, there's certain foods that there's an issue because of that, like, like the avocado, right? Like yeah. people want to have that year round and and. All, all, all foods are, I'm assuming are are seasonal, right? Like, or is there are there vegetables and fruits out there that that grow all year round? Well, we're lucky that you know we live in a place like the United States where you have different climates throughout each state. Mm-hmm. So there are states that are known for one specific thing, right? Like the potatoes, Idaho. Idaho is the king of potato, and you're gonna get Idaho potatoes year round. Um, we think about um, you know. What changes the dynamic of it not being a season is when you're tasting it and you know that you taste the watermelon and it's not sweet. Mm. And it just, yes. it's not, it's not the flavor that you know it's supposed mm-hmm. to be. Same thing with the berries. When you cut the strawberries and you see it's all white in the middle. Yeah. That's when you're forcing things to be done in an, in an environment that it's not supposed to be done mm. in. Okay. So you can get fruits and vegetables year round, but are they going to be good? I had a pear the other day 
it was the it was like cardboard. I was eating cardboard because it's not pear season. Mm. So I have to also be smart that when I'm making menus, I got to take certain things off. For example, now anyone who's booking me now is not getting the spring and summer menu. They're getting the fall and winter menu. Yeah, Knowing that we're losing all those amazing ingredients, but we're getting even different amazing ingredients. Now, when you're working, do you have... Uh, a set time that you work, like a certain peak time? Or are you one of those people that like, you just like push to burn the midnight oil or whatever? Like for instance, me, yo, I only, yo, yo da más silbo, like from <laughs> 10 to 5. Really? Yeah. And that's it. Like I'm good. I'm, I'm lucky now that I, at least I have help. I have an assistant now answering my emails. So mm-hmm. that, that helps me out a little bit. But I used to be up all night, even in like bed, answering emails at one, two o'clock. I remember one day, Tony, that I spent until 2.30 in the morning just catching up on emails and people responding the next day. Oh my God, today was the day for me to hire the caterer. I'm going to cancel the caterer. Please tell me you're still available. I will book you for tomorrow now. And I'm like, okay, I made that lady's day, but now yeah. I still made 20 other people upset because I mm. didn't respond to their email in time. So hopefully emails are not an issue now. But when it comes to actual working- Yeah, like cooking and stuff. I, I take events wherever. You know, and mm-hmm. sometimes there's brunch events. Sometimes there's breakfast. When I do certain high profile clients, they want breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And that's when I'm burning the midnight oil. I'm there 6 a.m. making sure that I'm shopping for the ingredients, preparing the food. You don't know when they're going to wake up. Yeah. And <laughs> that's another, the hard part. Another thing about chefs, it always look like y'all stressed. Like always. So like whenever y'all cooking it, I, I think this is because, of, you know, when I watch Kitchen Nightmares. Yeah, I was going to say, you're, to watch, you're watching like Kitchen Nightmares. You're watching Hell's Kitchen. Yeah. And if you got someone screaming, that, that's more of the guarantee. I would promise you that's the environment of a restaurant. Okay. Yes. yes all the time. All, all, 80% Every of the day. time. Because it's, we call it war, right? Or mm-hmm. I, at least I call it war. And whatever happens in war is that moment, that second, that day, everything else. We want to kiss and hug at the end of the day. But I will never disrespect my staff. I call all of my staff chef from the dishwasher to the to the prep cooks, to the line cooks, to my sous chefs. Yeah. I want everybody on this equal playing field. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows the respect that's being given because I feel like if you put people in a great working environment, they're going to produce better food. Yes. So for for sure. Amazing family meal is very important, not mm-hmm. just chicken and rice every day like so many restaurants do. Uh, I Meaning always, chicken and like they feed their staff chicken and rice. Every day or chicken and pasta, chicken because that's the lowest the cost effective, shit. cost yeah. effective, cost effective. Yeah. Right? So what I always said to myself is when I open up my restaurant, mm-hmm. I want to have a menu item that's called family meal. Okay. And I'm only going to have 20 portions on the menu. But what we do cook for family meal that day, it, I want it to be conceptualized into a dish. Okay. So I'm sure guaranteeing that my creative, my team is always eating well. They're staying creative because it's hard to do family meal when you have to focus on a station already. So we split that up. Tony, you're doing, you know, salads every day. Mm-hmm. You got to do family meal on Monday. You know, John is doing uh, hot appetizers. He's got to do family meal on Tuesday. So if you already motivate yourself and know that your day's Tuesday, you can start prepping Monday. Wow. You can start prepping the day before. Mm-hmm. So you're not overwhelmed and stressed. But also giving people the opportunity to try different cultures, try different food, and give us an opportunity to make sure good environment, people are eating good, they're going to produce better food. I don't believe in yelling at everyone. I was yelled at when I was a kid. I got called everything in the book because that was the culture for especially working in a French restaurant. Mm-hmm. I was a Dominican handicap. I was a birth defect. I was a uh, uh, an accident. My mom didn't want me. And I'm just like 17 years old. Yes, chef. No, chef. I'm sorry, chef. But then I remember getting called an asshole. I'm like, yeah, I, 
fucked up the egg. Yeah. I am an asshole. I know how to cook an egg. Why am I going to try to give him a half-assed egg when they expect perfection? All the time. All the time. So you, you, as long as you know how to cook and you got the timing and the multitasking, you should never get yelled at. What does it feel like when a plate goes out and it comes right back? Completely back like full? Yeah, when somebody's complaining, <laughs> like they don't like when it. somebody's complaining <laughs> about something, what does that feel like? <laughs> no, it, it's like as a chef now, you know, I obviously don't cook all of my food, mm-hmm. right? We have a team. My goal is to teach my team how to cook like me, so yeah. everything is produced well, mm-hmm. and that's why we what we do is called we expedite, right? We call out the orders, we oversee, we taste, and we put the finishing touches on the dish, so we make sure that we look at every dish that leaves the kitchen. So if a dish comes back, you're disheartened right away. What happened? Or me, I, I have a strict uh, policy with my dishwasher to let me know if a plate comes back half eaten, full, right away. What was that? That was table three. Uh, uh, Melissa, go find out uh, what was wrong with table three. They sent back all their food. Make sure that they, they didn't have any issues or were they full or whatever the situation like might you're be. you're constantly being judged. You, How do you deal with that? The first time I realized that you can't please everyone was when I started to read my like Yelp reviews and open table. Mm. And that can be very brutal. Yeah. Because people do not hold back. Yeah, they're hiding behind the computer. They're hiding behind the the, the little name. They, They think you don't have any feelings. And that shit hurts sometimes. I remember one time someone ordered the simplest salad in the world. Sometimes you have to have simple ingredients, simple item menus for picky people. And they're like, whoever created this salad should not be called a chef. (laughs) The salad was too simple. And then my response is like, my man, why couldn't you get the crispy goat cheese and walnut salad that has glazed caramelized walnuts, crispy goat cheese, baby arugula, or the watermelon prosciutto pistachio salad, or the other salad that has the players and the blue cheese you pick the mixed green salad. Yeah. That's fucking cucumbers, tomatoes, salad, simple dressing. Yeah. After that, I was like, Kelvin, don't do it to yourself. <laughs> but of course, we strive for perfection, right? Yeah. <laughs> ha- has there ever been a time in, in your career that you uh, dealt with imposter syndrome? Imposter syndrome? Yeah. So imposter syndrome is, I'll read it to you, refers to an internal experience of believing that you're not as competent as others perceive you to be. I would say that there was a moment in time where I felt like I didn't belong. I felt so, like mm-hmm. I was moving up too fast, mm. up the ranks. And I did the show Be Bobby Flay. And it was 2013, 14, 2015. And I beat the Be Bobby Flay. And he put me on a private jet with 10 of the best chefs in New York. That's imposter syndrome. So like you was there and you're like, And I'm looking around here? and I'm like, what the fuck? am I doing here? Mm-hmm. It took me a long time. It took me the end of that trip to be like, I deserve to be there. Mm. But it was hard because I was like going through the motions of like people giving you these accolades yeah. and giving you these awards and telling you how great you are. And I'm like, I don't feel like I'm there yeah, yet. Yeah, exactly. I feel like I could do so much more. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was 2015 going to the, the uh, Kentucky Derby. Uh, one of the greatest experiences. Here I am representing Venezuela with arepas. And I'm like, I'm just hoping that I make Venezuela proud as yeah. a Dominican. Um, and that was the first time I got to cook at a, in a horse stable. It was like the, one of the cleanest horse stables I've ever seen in my mm-hmm. life. But every chef had a horse stable station. Uh, Bobby was the host. He came around and gave me my accolades, gave me my flowers. 
Uh, we took a couple pictures and it was one of the greatest moments to know that people were coming back saying, out of all the chefs are here, your food is the best. Nice. And I was like 24, 25 years old. So it was, it was a hell of an experience to be able to, to, to get that. And then from that moment on was when you have to start like patting yourself on the back. Yeah. And, and I think I always believe this. I'm sure you do as well. You're only as great as your last accomplishment. Exactly. But it's not about what you've done. It's about what you continue to do. So mm-hmm. I don't want to talk about 2015. I don't want to talk about 2020. I want yeah. to talk about what's happening in 2021. Yeah. I want to talk about what's happening next year. What's, mm-hmm. what, what am I going to keep doing that's going to keep me outside of the circle that everyone is doing the same thing? Exactly. And how am I still going to be the number one personal chef in New York City or the number one most booked chef in the city or the one, number one most sought after chef in the city, you know? If I'm not any of those things, then why am I doing what I'm doing? Yeah. Do If you wasn't being a chef, you know, if it, like in an alternate universe, or like what would you be doing? I love this question because I think about it a lot. Uh-huh. And uh, I think I would have to do something with videography or photography. Okay. I love taking pictures of food. Yeah. I don't think, like, I can say now, like let's say I just get, I get tired one day of, of cooking and I don't want to cook anymore, Tony. And I can be like, I want to be a food reviewer. Mm-hmm. I want to be the next Anthony Bourdain. Yeah. I want to go travel the world, have a camera follow me. Like, that's what I want to do. I don't think I would be able to say that <clears throat> if I didn't discover food the way I did. So if it wasn't anything with food, I would be a photographer because I love taking pictures. I love recording. I love being able to record a moment. So I think that would be the route that I would do. And I don't know what specifically, but probably let's say following like a musician like doing behind the scenes documentaries, things mm. like that. Like I would love to do something like that. So I had a passion watching that. Do you play music when you're cooking? And like in, oh, in your 100%. Kitchen? Music is always a vibe. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll go from, depending on the mood, we'll go either from Bad Bunny to Drake or to like someone like Craig David when it's just like a Craig prep. Craig David, you take it back Craig like David, that? back to 2000. Uh-huh. Craig David in a prep mood when I just want nice little flow. Um, it, it also had to depend on the mood, you know, and, and sometimes my clients are like, oh, hey, here's the, the code to the Bluetooth. Play music for us. I'm like, yeah. you sure you want my music? Because mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it gets a little ratchet sometimes. But uh, it, it, it definitely sets the mode. It definitely sets the mode. Is there something that you don't like to eat? I'm very picky and I am the pickiest chef you'll probably meet. You've told me that. Yeah. Before. And, and, I'll, and I'll admit it. Like, I'll admit this. Thanks to my mom. God bless my mom. I love her still to this day. She used to pick out the habichuela from the ajaro con habichuela yes. because she knew that I wasn't going to eat it. I don't like the textures of beans. Yeah. But as I grew older, I started appreciating it more. Same. I didn't like mushrooms, Brussels sprouts. And now I'm like, Same. oh shit, how do I make it better? How do yeah. I make it to... As long as there's texture, I'm a texture person. Mm. So I can't eat tuna tartare by itself in a spoon. Give me a crispy wonton. Give me a crispy cracker. Mm. Give me a crispy okay. tostone. Done. Yeah. Same thing with I can't eat rice. When I see rice by itself, by itself, you can't I eat used rice to like gag in my mouth. So I would have to have like chicharrón de pollo with mm-hmm. like or tostone and rice. Like I have to have texture. So for example, mashed potatoes, I gotta eat with fried chicken. I gotta eat with chicken cordon bleu. Every if if you know notice anything about my food, there's always texture. Because if I can't appreciate it, I know someone else might not. And I think the hardest thing to do, Tony, when you're creating a dish, I think all chefs strive to make a dish that's perfect from beginning to end. Mm. Because if you don't have, you can have a dish, take two bites and you'd be like, oh my God. But if it's like two noted or one noted, after the fourth bite, your palate is bored. Mm. It's not experiencing something new. So 
what I love about that arepa, it's everything in the perfect bite, right? It's crispy, it's sweet, it's salty, herbaceous. There's, it's meaty, it's acidic, and it's hitting every flavor profile that your palate is looking for. So when you're experiencing what I like to call that party in your mouth, you're like, yes. what just happened? I want yeah, more. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. want more. I, I don't know what I just had, but I, I need another bite to understand what I'm having. And then another bite turns into another and so on and so forth. So if you can do that in a dish, you made a perfect dish. That's interesting you say that because yesterday I went to this French restaurant right there, like on 100th Street. Uh, forgot the name of it, but it, it was the short rib potato. And it's like, it, it, it almost looked like a, like a shepherd's pie. Mm-hmm. And it had like, I guess, Gruyere cheese on top. And yes, first bite and second bite, I was blown away. But then I was bored. Yeah. And it's interesting what you said it was because one dimension. Because it's almost like the cheese, like you know, once you're kind of done with the cheese, and and it's crazy because the 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 for me the the um, the star of that dish was the cheese because it was melted perfectly. It was it melted was, and it's Gruyere. Yep, it's but, funky. But the the short ribs wasn't seasoned and it properly. Had, like properly. So if, if it was seasoned properly, if I'm done with the cheese. But I'm but la salsa de, of the meat and everything with the potato is still would have kept that party going. So you you left like half of the dish. I kind of left half yeah. of the dish. Yeah. yeah. And that and that's why I always say salt and pepper goes a long way. But there's also a fine line between well seasoned, perfectly seasoned, and over seasoned. Yeah. And if you don't know how to hit those notes, mm-hmm. you cannot be a successful chef. So would you say that this is your, your life's purpose, you know, being a chef? Like this is what yeah. you was put on this earth to do? One, one of my favorite clients that I, I wish I could mention his name, but he's an influential artist um, who makes incredible music. And I was like, like a little kid when I met him, you know, he saluted me, said hello. It was an honor to be in his home. And uh, I made my first dish and it was a red snapper with like this coconut, kaffir, lime leaf sauce, zucchini, uh, mango, cherry tomatoes that I peeled the skin off that if you eat it, it just bursts in your mouth. And I gave it to him. I walked away. I came back. I cleared his plate. And I was like, did you enjoy any everything? He's like, would you like me to give you feedback? Mm-hmm. I said, absolutely. And he goes, starts talking about himself. He's like, as a creator, I feel like you were born to do this. Mm. I feel like you're the Picasso of cooking. I think and, I know who, who you're talking And about. I was just like, <laughs> my hair was standing. I was like, Mister. I was like, sir, I was like, I have all, I don't have a lot of hair on my arms, yeah. but they're all standing up. Yeah. And that's a moment that I'll never forget. Mm. So to hear like someone that you think is a genius mm-hmm. and an incredible creator say that about your food. Yeah. I was good for the rest of the year. That's I don't have to cook for good. nobody else. So yeah. I feel like, because of the way everything happened, I, I I meant to be able to put smiles on people's faces. And that's one thing I never get tired of. Yeah. I never get tired of people telling me how great my food is. So how many years you have uh, being a chef? I've been a, a chef professionally since I was 22. I'm 36 now, but I've been cooking since I was 15 years old. So 21 years cooking and uh, I don't see myself stopping anytime soon. So in those 20 years that you have cooking what is something that you've learned that that you could give to somebody as like a piece of advice that that kind of sticks with you? Yeah, like things that I wish I knew before I got into this business. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to be willing to sacrifice your entire life. Mm. And when I say that is, 
here I am at 15, 16, 17 working in restaurants when I really wanted to just play with my friends baseball on the weekends. Yeah. I missed out on that, especially being such a sports lover. Mm-hmm. Um, missing out on family functions, missing out on weddings and birthdays and being willing to sacrifice. Yeah. But I look at myself 20 years later mm-hmm. and I'm, I've been the past five years at a point in my life where I can say everything that I've sacrificed is worth it. It was worth it. Because to be at a position where I'm at, at 30 years old, 35 years old and going, I'm so proud of myself. Yeah. Because if you ask me what I would be doing 20 years from now, I don't know Mm -hmm. when I was 15. You can ask me now what I want to be doing when I'm 45, when I'm 50, when I'm 55. I have those dreams and aspirations, those goals. Because they're that I know they're accomplishable because what I've accomplished in the last 20 years. Yeah. Well, Chef Kelvin, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. This was a lot of fun and insightful. And thank you for that arepas. That, that, that won't be the first of many arepas to come because I have more for you to try. But oh, I can't it's, wait. It's honored to have a, a sit-down one-on-one conversation where we don't have a loud music playing in the background yes. or or making habichuela do it for everybody. So yes, yes. it's an honor to be here and I hope uh, many more for this to come. All right, thank you. Thanks, Tony. So that was my conversation with Chef Kelvin. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Do me a favor. Please, if you guys uh, like this podcast, don't hesitate to share um, the podcast with others, with other people that you think might uh, enjoy and get some information out of it. Also, if you have some time, please uh, subscribe and comment. Apparently, that stuff helps um, with, uh, with podcasts. You know, I'm really just trying to build something here. I'm trying to have conversations that we normally don't hear with uh, all types of creatives. So really, really would love you guys help with um, getting the word out. Also, I uh, started an IG page for Check the Method and the page is Check the Method underscore pod, P-O-D. So if you're up to it, you know, follow us. I'll be putting up more content up there. So thank you guys. Don't forget, Check the Method drops every Tuesday. Um, This is my first volume and it's going to be a volume of five interviews. So be on the lookout for the rest. All right. Peace.